On this episode of the podcast, we talk with Richard Jones about sharing and preserving his father's World War II letters. On Alakiski Chronicle, we feature interesting stories and people who shape our local history. The mission of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum is to interpret, preserve, and celebrate the cultural, industrial, and ethnic heritage of the Allegheny and Kiskimanitis River Valleys in southwestern Pennsylvania. I'm Jamie Stoner, the curator of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum. Our guest today is State College's Richard Jones. He has recently presented our Heritage Museum with a copy of his father's letters home during World War II. His father, Private Richard E. Jones of Trenum, PA, was drafted when he was 30 years old and would serve for two years in the European theater during World War II. Like most soldiers during World War II, Private Jones wrote to close family. Although, in addition to letters to his mother, sister, and brother, he also wrote letters to his girlfriend and future wife. This amazing collection gives us a first-hand look at someone serving in the war. It also gives a different perspective than some of the younger draftees. Richard, I'm very excited to add your father's collection of letters to our research library here at the Allegheny-Kiskey Valley Historical Society. Any personal documents such as letter certificates, small publications, etc., greatly enhance our view of the daily lives of local people. These give a unique first-hand account of what it meant to grow up here and live in the AK Valley. Your father's letters are also an important perspective of local lives and world events. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Thank you, Jamie. So I'm kind of curious, how did you discover your father's letters? Were these something that your family talked about all the time? You always knew they existed, or did you stumble upon them one day? I always knew they existed, and they existed in no particular form. They were in several boxes in the house. And frankly, until I retired, I never had the time to sit down and put them in chronological order and read them. And when I did, I saw that uh, this guy had uh, perspective that uh, uh, maybe not the average 18 to 19-year-old soldier would have had in World War II. So I thought, maybe I should catalog these, annotate them, and make them available to others. So you mentioned the perspective was the main thing that drove you. How do you feel that that perspective is different than the average, you know, 18, 20-year-old draftee? Well, I think he had more life experience, and he was able to appreciate what was happening to him more. Now, uh, after his first combat experience, when he got wounded, uh, after that, he was put into a headquarters company where he was not under fire so much. And after the fighting ended, he was able to sort of take that life experience, I would say, and make himself an informed tourist as much as a private in the Army could do that, given the press of other duties, he took the opportunity to go all over Europe and saw some amazing things. And is there anything that really struck you in the letters home? Maybe issues he was addressing, things like that, that made you really feel like that was a different perspective? Uh, He would talk uh, uh, not so much about the global political uh, situation, but he would talk about the conditions that he saw some of which were quite horrific. And uh, I think he wrote about those with uh, the perspective of a grown man, again, rather than some uh, kid who was just out of high school. And before he was drafted, what he was employed in Trenum. What was his trade? Well, at at the time he was drafted, he got his draft notice on uh, Christmas Eve, 1943. At the time he was drafted, he was a draftsman 
for the Aluminum Company of America in the wherever division over in New Kensington. What really inspired you to put these letters together? I mean, family history projects are always a massive undertaking. Part of it was guilt. Here we had all these letters, and uh, I, I was feeling guilty that I hadn't done much with them over the years just because I, w- I was working, and when you're working full-time, that's sort of consuming, and didn't really have the time to devote to it. And by the time I got to it, I felt was feeling a little bit guilty because most of the people he was talking about were gone, and most of the people who would have uh, really enjoyed reading these uh, and who were directly referenced were gone, but I thought, hey, I, I should do something with this for posterity. At the very least, my grandkids might get an A in history in some uh, uh, future test because of it. And, of course, you very kindly thought of giving us a copy of these letters here. How do you feel that these letters reflect on local history? Well, he talks uh, not so much about the AK Valley, not so much about Terenum. He talks about different people from the area. So in that sense, it's maybe not directly AK Valley history as, as much it is as it is World War II history from the perspective of a local guy. I think that's a very important perspective to take. We often talk about here how important it is that people here and events here did play on a larger global scale of things. And your father's letters, I think, demonstrate that beautifully. Obviously, these letters are from World War II, and that makes them very exciting. Do you think you could get kind of the same interest from them, the same level of historical relevance out of letters in peacetime as well? Yes, I think you can. And I think that uh, in some ways it can be even more meaningful because uh, the events of World War II are so overwhelming and they're well known. People know what happened uh, through that. But uh, regular letters outside of a war setting might easily give a better perspective of what a snapshot of life was at any particular moment. So, of course, you knew your father. But what was it like being introduced to him through these letters, through sort of a younger version of himself and what he was going through? That's a good question. And it, it, it really was kind of cool to meet this guy uh, who, when I, when I meet him through these letters, is 30 and 31 years of age. And he's single. You know, he's not uh, married to my mother yet. I haven't come along yet. So you have a different perspective of a person when he's your father. And he has a different relationship with you. Uh, but he's not that in these letters. He's a single 30 and 31-year-old guy. And uh, he talks about, uh, you know, going out and having a good time and things that uh, he might not necessarily have talked about with me when I was growing up. Did, did you learn anything about your father's character, anything about his personality that you maybe didn't quite realize till you were reading through these letters? Well, my father was a good man in my perspective. Uh, he was a gentleman, I believe, and was well-respected uh, in, in this community and throughout uh, by anybody who knew him. But as far as his character, yeah, there were some things that surprised me, one of which uh, uh, his letters contain some profanity. And one would not think of that happening in, a, in letters that he would write home to his mother and his sister. I, I, I entitled the collection Dear Mother, Marjorie, and All. Marjorie was his sister, and All was uh, members of an extended family who lived at 1008 Crescent Street in, in Terenum. 
And, you know, he's kind of uh, free with what I would call mild profanity, which kind of surprised me because his mother was always a uh, pillar of the First uh, Methodist Church here in Tarentum all her life. So I'm sure you've read the letters many, many times. Do you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, there are uh, a couple of them that uh, s- sort of illustrate the kind of letter writer that, that he was. I think he was a good letter writer. He knew how to tell a story. He wasn't particularly uh, great at punctuation or grammar. Uh, he sort of used the uh, uh, stream of consciousness technique when he was writing, and most of these letters are handwritten. So uh, he was pretty casual about his use of uh, periods and and question marks and things like that. And his spelling is a bit erratic. But uh, yeah, I have a couple that are favorites. Would you like to read a few of those to us by any chance? Sure, I'll read an excerpt from one. This was uh, uh, from somewhere in Germany, April 3rd, 1945, Dear Mother, Marjorie, and All. It is now 5.10 a.m., my trick on guard, and a good chance to write. Haven't been able to write because we were moving so much. By the time you get this letter, the newspapers will have told you all about the movements we have made, and you can see for yourselves how busy we have been. It's been a great experience. Travel on their autobahns, like the Pennsylvania Turnpike. This country is crawling with misplaced people from nearly every land in Europe. As we move up, they move back. Soldiers from all the countries the Germans conquered. French, Russians, Poles, Italians... Even their allies are glad to get away from them. Civilians, too, are on the roads, not only Germans, but others that had been held in labor camps. We found 500 young girls the day before Easter, mostly Hungarian. It was pitiful. Most of them had been away from home for over three years. One of the fellows asked them what they had to eat. One told him that they hadn't eaten that day, but had some potatoes for a good meal the day before. We can't feed them. What we have, we have to carry ourselves. These Germans have a lot to pay for. I could go on for a long time about some of these things, but you've read it all before, and it just makes me mad. So I I, I think I can speculate why you really appreciate that letter, but would you like to summarize why that letter particularly caught your attention? Well, I guess it's not typical. Uh, A lot of the letters are really, uh, hey, would you send me a sweater? It's cold over here, and things like that. But when something did get his uh, dander up, he would put it down. And so there are 120 letters in the collection, and I would say nine or ten of them really sort of address personal things uh, that he has seen. I think he was not atypical in in that in a lot of his letters he tried to downplay a lot of the uh, horror people saw in World War II. I think that was fairly common, and maybe it was encouraged by the censors, I don't know. But uh, I know that a lot of it, he tends to downplay, uh, like his wounding, and I have a letter that I can read about that, if, if that's okay. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. He was wounded uh, in, on September 15, 1944, in the battle for Brest. The 29th Division was trying to take the, the town of Brest, and, and he was behind a hedgerow. And hedgerows, as most people know, were not just hedges. They were uh, two to five feet thick. They were dirt and covered with nettles and all kind of stuff. And tr- they're trying to sight a German 20-millimeter 
gun, and he looks up, and he sees the tracers coming, and he ducks his head, and the tracers come through the hedgerow and hit his helmet, and they come through the helmet, and they penetrate into his forehead. Now, he writes in this letter that there's just scratches. Well, it wasn't scratches. He had dents in his forehead the rest of his life, you know. So, so I'll, uh, that's the, the backdrop to this letter. And he writes it to uh, his brother Roy, who was a foot doctor here in Toronto. And this is from somewhere in England, September 23, 1944. Dear Roy, as you can see from the address on this envelope, I've moved again. Had a little accident up on the line. Somehow or other, I don't believe it was an accident, though. Believe Jerry did it on purpose. It isn't very serious, but I'd rather have you tell Mother than to write to her directly. I've been in two pretty good scraps so far and got hit in the second. You know, Roy, I agree with Eleanor. He's talking about Eleanor Roosevelt. I don't like war. Well, this is about the size of it. A few small shell fragments penetrated my helmet and scratched my head a little. In fact, it didn't even knock me out. Another fellow got hit about the same time, so the two of us crawled back to find some medics. They patched us up temporarily. The next morning, we were able to get into a regular aid station, from there to a hospital, and thence over here. Roy, you simply can't give these medics enough credit. They carry no weapons, but go out under the heaviest fire to treat and bring back the wounded. Can't tell you anything about the front that Ernie Pyle hasn't described already, so won't bother to try. Tell the kids I'll get them some German souvenirs. Didn't have a good chance this last time out, but if I get another opportunity at some PWs, I'll do better. Maybe they'd like my helmet. I'll try to save it and bring it home when I come. It isn't any good to the Army anymore, and it can't be used as a wash basin. It leaks. <laughs> that would be quite a problem. Did your father ever share stories with you about the battles that he was in in World War II or about his injuries? I know you've gone to learn a lot through his letters, but did he ever share those stories in person? Absolutely never. Did not know anything. Well, I knew he'd been wounded, but I didn't know any of the circumstances until I, I read this. And he had, of course, he couldn't write about the circumstances of his wounding so much in the letters, but he kept a little diary that is also uh, in the uh, collection that, uh, that, uh, that I gave to you uh, that talked uh, in detail about uh, the battle and the wounding. Those are not in the letters. Now, you also included the telegraph that his mother received from the U.S. government on his wounding in this collection. I do recall reading that. Were you ever given any stories either of how that was received with your family? No, not really. The letters were put in several boxes in no particular order, and nobody ever talked about them. I know nowadays when soldiers are off fighting or in other countries even, a lot of the primary mode of communication home is emails or instant messenger. I know myself, when my father was deployed, we almost exclusively talked on instant messenger. How do you think that's going to affect sort of the history and the way that war is remembered now when you don't actually have those paper copies of that correspondence? I think that's going to be a problem for historians uh, in the future just to reconstruct some things because uh, a lot of it is so transient, sort of ephemeral, and uh, I think that it, it really is going to be a problem. 
Is there anything else that you would like to share about your father, about his letters? I think that very early on, he had the sense that they ought to be saved and something should be done with them. Because in his second or third letter to his mother, he says uh, in a P.S., save these letters. And I'm very glad that he did. And I'm glad somebody listened to that P.S. too. I mean, this is a fantastic, fantastic thing to be able to add to our library. And I can't thank you enough for thinking of us and donating this copy to us. Thank you so much. Our guest today has been Richard Jones of State College. He has recently donated a copy of the collection of his father's World War II letters. Remember to keep us in mind for historic documents. We accept both donations as well as copies of originals. We are open Wednesdays and Saturdays from 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. You can also give us a call at 724-224-7666. Visit us online at akvhs.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter to learn more about our exhibits and upcoming events. Thanks for joining us on the Alakiski Chronicle, the podcast of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and the Heritage Museum. I'm Jamie Stoner. See you next time. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network, a nonprofit project of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative. 